Well, again, we are so glad to have so many wonderful faces in worship with us this morning. We are glad that you are here to join us on this joyous Palm Sunday, on a day that we celebrate the coming of the King, of entering into the city, entering into Jerusalem, Jesus making his final walk. And that's kind of where we were at last week and where we're at this week and kind of where we're going to be next week is this, this idea of the passion narrative, the, the final events and moments leading up to Christ's death on the cross. And so today we brought forth these palms as a remembrance to that day that in the same manner that when Jesus was entering through the streets uh, in Jerusalem, the people came out and laid palms at his feet, crying, Hosanna, Hosanna to God in the highest. And so as I've already mentioned, today really does mark the start of Holy Week. And Holy Week is this entire week that we look at and celebrate as we look to Easter. And there are several things that are happening in this week that we end up celebrating, Palm Sunday being one. But this week at First Pres, we also have a couple other things going on that we want to invite you to. We're going to be having a Lenten lunch on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 12 p.m. It's going to be soup and bread and water. And so if you're available and want to come and fellowship with one another during this Holy Week, we invite you to one of those Lenten lunches or come to all three. Um, so those are Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at noon. And then also we're going to have a Maundy Thursday service at 6 p.m. Uh, on Thursday. Uh, this is going to be more of a solemn service. It's going to be done almost completely in, in, in our own silence and solitude as we, as we sit and we remember uh, the Lord. And then we will have a Good Friday service at 12 p.m. And so if you are available at lunchtime on Good Friday, you're welcome to join us here as well. And then lastly, for Easter Sunday, we're going to have a sunrise at 7 a.m. out by the cross. Uh, we'll also have a community fellowship breakfast uh, at 8 a.m. after the sunrise service. And lastly, we'll have our full service at 11 a.m. And so you are invited to all of these opportunities for us to gather together and to remember and worship God in the way that he came and died for us, for our sins, but then rose again that death would be put to death and that life would be granted. And so all of these things you are invited to, you can full, find that full schedule uh, either on your hymnal or it's in your bulletin. And so we hope that you'll come out to some of those things. Those are the, the ways in which we can actually honor uh, the Lord Jesus throughout this week, our, our King Jesus. Uh, before the scripture reading, I just want to uh, invite you uh, for our scripture reading today. It's not something we normally do, but I think on this day and this occasion, I'm going to invite you to stand if you can. Uh, and then at the end of the scripture reading, I will say uh, the word of the Lord and your response is thanks be to God. And so if you can, please stand for our scripture reading today that comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. And when he had said these things, speaking about Jesus, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and to Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. 
And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had, had, had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Oh, good and gracious God. Lord, that you would be recognized, that you would be magnified and gloried, glorified in our scripture today. God, that the words that I speak would not be my own, but that they would come from your Holy Spirit within me. Lord, that you would make much of yourself and very little of who I am. Receive your glory today, King Jesus, as we honor and celebrate this moment of your triumphal entry, as you approach Jerusalem for the final time. Jesus, be glorified. It's your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I feel like my life has been full of what I like to call unexpecteds, and that's unexpected with an S. I'm going to nounify the word because I really feel like it gets gets my point across much better than saying an unexpected moment because it's far greater than just a moment in time. It's far greater than just a moment in my life. It's an unexpected. It's something that changed and transformed the entire trajectory of where I was going. I've had several of these unexpecteds in my life, but just a week ago I shared one at Presbytery. I was in a meeting and someone had said something and we were just kind of talking and I started to talk about an unexpected, something that I didn't expect to happen and yet God in his great and wonderful ways uh, changed everything. You see, I've, I've told I think before in the past that, you know, There was this time in my life that I had no desire to be a pastor. No desire to be in ministry. In fact, I had no desire to even know God. And yet, here I am. And that is one of the craziest things, is that up until this point in my life, I had really wanted to go in graphic design. I had every plans to be an art major, get my associates of art at, um, at Young Harris College, and then transfer into another college called Lee University. And so, and this is kind of my unexpected, is from the very beginning, I knew that I was going to go to school, and after becoming a Christian, I knew that I wanted to go to Lee. 
You see, Lee was the school that all of my pastors had gone to. It was the school that all of my friends were going to. It was just kind of expected that that was the school that I was going to end up in. And so as I started down this ministry path that God had called me on, I was like, okay, like, Lord, I know that through all of this, even though I wanted to go this one way and do this one thing, you've now called me into ministry. And so I'm starting to set up my life with this plan. Go to Young Harris, get my associates, then go and transfer into Lee to finish up a degree in ministry. It's perfect. It is exactly the plan that I feel like you are calling me on. And so I start doing everything and shaping all of my decisions and all of my life toward that one trajectory to finish up at Young Harris and then transfer to Lee and then finish up my bachelor's there. Well, here's the thing. My plans, though good, I'm sure, were not God's plans. They weren't what he necessarily had in mind when he thought about the trajectory of my life. And so I kid you not, the day, the day before graduation at Young Harris for my associate's degree, I felt this impression on my spirit, you're not supposed to go to Lee. And I thought, of course I'm supposed to go to Lee. How am I not supposed to go there? God, I don't think you understand. I have a housing assignment. I have a class schedule. And I have my student ID. Like, I am going to Lee University. What do you mean I'm not going to Lee University? He's like, you're not going to Lee University. And I was like, God, okay, then where am I going? Where are you sending me? And I started praying about it. And I started getting this impression on my heart that I was supposed to go to the other side of the country for school. And I was like, there is no way the day before graduation that my mom is going to say, yeah, that's a great idea. I'm going to send you 3,000 miles away from me for you to go to school. And so I was like, okay, Lord, if this is going to happen, you have to make my mom say yes. I'm going to call her up. I'm going to be like, Lord, you know, or mom, not Lord. <laughs> I'm going to be like, Lord, you need to tell my mom. Uh, I was like, mom, hey, here's the thing. I know graduation's like tomorrow, but I kind of feel like the Lord is leading me in this unexpected direction. And I called her up and I let her know. And she said, oh, do you need my credit card for the application fee? <laughs> I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Not only did she say yes, she was going to pay for the application for me to register. I was like, okay. Lord, you, you know, I could have sent out several other fleeces and just been like, God, I don't think that I trusted that one. God, I don't think I trust that one either. But I trusted the first one. He made it clear that that's where I was supposed to go. And so I ended up transferring to a school 3,000 miles away, was there for one year, and then transferred back to Young Harris to finish my bachelor's. Sometimes it's funny how God takes us in these paths to get us to where we really need to be. Not necessarily where we want to be. And so I ended up finishing my time at Young Harris, getting my bachelor's degree, and then going on to seminary and getting a theological education so that I could end up in ministry and today stand here before you. But here's one thing. There's one thing that I know that I was taught in that unexpected moment where I felt the Lord say, you're not going to the school that you had planned. You're going to the school that I have planned for you. 
And it was this. It was a moment for God in this unexpected to increase my faith in Him. Increase my trust in Him. And believe in His sovereignty. To get me to where He would want me to be. Because if I'm honest, I never saw the trajectory and path of my life landing me in Griffin, Georgia, pastoring a church. There's no possible way that I could have foreseen that if I had gone the route that I wanted to go. And yet he did it. He did it because there were moments in my theological education when I went out west that I actually began to have a heart to maybe pastor at more than just a youth ministry scale. It would have been impossible for me to see that maybe if I had pursued just a specific degree in youth ministry at Lee University. You see, God made an unexpected in my life turn into an unexpected trajectory to transform and change everything. I didn't know that what I needed wasn't necessarily the thing that I wanted. And I'm wondering if there are these moments also in your life where you have these unexpecteds, right? These moments where you are going through, you have this plan, and then all of a sudden, God's like, unexpected. Something unexpected happened. I can definitively say that I know one unexpected for everybody in this room. It's the last two years. None of us had the expectation that a pandemic would sweep across and change our lives. We were not prepared for the life-altering moment that happened over the last two years. It turned so many of our lives around and upside down. And so the question might be, well, of course COVID wasn't something any of us wanted. Certainly it wasn't something that we were planning for, that we were preparing for, and yet... God used it. It might have been something we needed. And you might be asking yourself with so much loss, how was a pandemic something that we needed? But I thought about it. What COVID did for the church is it shook us up. It woke us up. I think it was a moment that we really got back in touch with what God was doing in his church and what was important. I know that at least in that time that I was gone, I, I realized how important it was for us to actually gather together. How much I missed that desire to be with people. I wasn't prepared for the isolation and separation that COVID caused. But I can say that it made me realize that I had become apathetic to the fact that I got to join each other in church, that I got to be with other people, that I got to live in community with others. And as someone that struggled with community in my time in Marietta, I, it made me realize I had it all along. I just didn't realize it because I thought community had to look a specific way. But when it was all taken away from me, God showed and revealed something to me in those moments. And what was he revealing to you? What has he revealed to you in this time of isolation and separation over the last two years of all the things we've had to go through? How did God wake up and shake you up? Because I think he did. I think he did it in our communities. And we can be 
So thankful for that. But also maybe you've had a lot of medical curveballs thrown at you. Maybe in life, maybe recently. Maybe things that were just completely unexpected, out of the blue. Those things that you didn't know were going to happen. Certainly you couldn't have known that they were going to happen. Oftentimes we don't. But what is God revealing in the midst of those hard and difficult moments? Maybe you had a career change late in life and you didn't realize that God was using that career shift to change everything and now you're at where you're at. You've entered retirement and you realize all along, wow, God, you used that unexpected to change the trajectory of everything. And I can't imagine that I would have done anything else than end up where I am today. Or maybe... It was your first choice of a college, and you didn't get in it. And then you ended up in a community college for a couple years or somewhere else down the road, but God used that unexpected situation for so much more. He can use that unexpected situation for so much more. And so this morning, as we turn to the triumphal entry of Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem for the final time. What we don't realize is that this triumphal entry is revealing and unexpected. That nothing happens the way that everyone thought it would. That what they wanted in Jesus was not what they received. Instead, they got exactly what they needed even though they didn't know they needed it. You see, if this sermon had to have an alternative title than the triumphal entry, it would be this. The Unexpected King. And so in our passage today in Luke chapter 19, we actually see Jesus right beforehand. He's going through the city, through this village, and through these crowds. And there was a man there. And he was the chief tax collector. So we've all heard about Matthew. We all know about Matthew. And we know that Matthew was a tax collector and that everybody hated Matthew. He took their money. No, he stole their money. But the man in this passage, in this story, is the chief of those tax collectors, which means he was the most hated of all of those people, of all tax collectors. He was the chief tax collector. Therefore, he was the chief of everybody's hatred. But we know him by another name. We know him as Zacchaeus. And you see, we all know the story, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, but a happy man was he. For he had seen the Lord that day. And a happy man was he. And a happy man was he. Even Zacchaeus had one of these unexpecteds. All he wanted to do was, who is this man that everybody's talking about? Who is this Jesus? 
I can't see him. I'm going to climb up into a tree and see who this Jesus is. And so he gets up there and he looks. And instead of just getting a glimpse, he actually has Jesus speak to him and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming with you. Zacchaeus, I want to know you. I want to enter into your house. Not just so that I can know you, but so that you can know me. Zacchaeus had one of those unexpecteds in his life. It changed everything. But while Jesus was in his house, while Jesus was there gathered with some friends, with his disciples, was Zacchaeus, he had to share a parable. And the parable he shared in Luke, it's called the parable of the ten minas, which is like the ten talents. We've heard the other story before. And there's a lot that could be gleaned from that parable, but there's one important thing that I think is relevant to today. It's that as Jesus is telling this parable, he's telling of those that were faithfully waiting and those that did not faithfully wait for the coming king and for the coming kingdom. You see, suffice it to say, is that Jesus knows that what's about to happen What's about to take place as he enters Jerusalem is going to be very unexpected to his followers. He's prepared his disciples for the cross. But even they didn't fully comprehend and understand. He wanted to prepare the hearts of his hearers that more unexpected was coming. And that the Messiah that they thought was coming was not the way that they thought he would come. And so we enter in today's passage. After Jesus leaves Zacchaeus' house, it says that he goes up to Jerusalem. And you see, that language is really important because whenever we hear Jerusalem, we always hear it mentioned that somebody went up to Jerusalem. Even if they were coming down a mountain like Jesus was, even though Jesus was coming down Mount Olivet, it said he went up to the city. Why? Because Jerusalem was the place that you worshipped God. It's where the temple was located. You always went up some place to worship the Lord. Just as Moses went up Mount Sinai to see God face to face, so Jesus went up into Jerusalem. What I think is even crazier is that Jerusalem is aptly named Jerusalem, Salem, peace the city of peace. Jesus was entering into the place that God was to be worshipped and the city that was named peace. I find it ironic that it's the city of peace where it should reign and the place that God should be worshipped that Jesus would enter into it and nothing but violence would be done against God, not worship. It seems to say that Jesus was literally breaking into what needed to be fixed in that place. He was coming so that peace would really reign. And so that worship 
would really happen. But before he enters into the city, Jesus sends two of his disciples to retrieve a colt. And a colt is, is just the offspring of a donkey. And so he sends them off and he says to them, hey, guess what? There's this place, there's this city, there's this village in front of you. I want you to go into it and I want you to get a colt that's tied up upon which no person has ever ridden. And you're going to bring that colt to me. Now, before we go further, I have to say that there have been many times in my life where I've been asked to go get something for somebody. The easiest one for me to recall is uh, when I was younger, we would all end up in the car, and then my mom would be like, oh, I forgot something. Austin, go in. It's on the counter. Grab it and bring it back to me. Easy. It's my house. It's my mom. It's our property. No issue going in, grabbing it. Sure, I mean, I might have fought my mom on it. Uh, don't do that. Um, but nonetheless, it's easy to go into a place that you know and to get something that is yours. But there have been other times that I have been driven to somebody's house by my mom because a friend of hers had left something for her to use and borrow and then my mom asked me to get out of the car and to go in and to grab that thing, and the friend wasn't home. And so here I am, this uncomfortable kid, walking into somebody else's house, taking something from their house and bringing it with me into the car. Awkward. Uncomfortable. And yet, it was still okay. I mean, I still did it. I never had that many problems with it, but it was kind of like, uh, I'm a little bit uncomfortable, not my place. But then here's Jesus, and he's telling two of his disciples, hey, you're just going to go into this village in front of you, and by the way, somebody else's animal is going to be tied up in front of their house, and you're just going to take that animal with you, and you're going to bring it to me. And I'm just like, this gives me so much discomfort. I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with that. I wouldn't be okay with that in my life. And yet Jesus sends his two disciples because he knows that there's going to be a cult there upon which no person has ever ridden. And so the disciples go in faith and in obedience. And when they find exactly what Jesus had said standing in front of them, they grab that colt and prepare to bring it to Jesus. All I can think of is theft. But they did it obediently and faithfully. But Jesus also warns them. He's like, by the way, when somebody asks you why you are taking this colt, you're going to say to them, the Lord has need of it. The Lord has need of it. I'll be honest, I really want this kind of obedience. I wish that I could be as obedient as the disciples were when Jesus told them, hey, I'm going to send you to do theft. Okay, Lord, I will steal for you. He's not calling us to steal, but he is calling us to an obedience, to a trust in him, to what he says is true. I wish that there were moments that I could read something in the Bible and know that when I read it, that I could just obey it, that I could just do it so well that I would never struggle to trust 
that if I'm obedient to the word of God, that blessings would overflow. But there are so many moments that I read something in Scripture and it makes me uncomfortable and I don't want to do it because it's not convenient for me. And yet, the disciples were so willing to trust Jesus for who He said He was that they were obedient to taking somebody else's donkey. And then it all happened just as he said. So as they were taking the donkey and untying it, the owners come out and they say, what are you doing with our donkey? That's our donkey. And they respond, the Lord has need of it. And they didn't argue. And so they left with the colt and went back to Jesus And they brought the colt to Jesus and they put their cloaks upon that colt and set Jesus upon it. And Jesus started making His final entry into Jerusalem. He comes down from the Mount of Olives, closes in on the city. And what people would have seen in that moment, they would have seen Jesus approaching in this manner and they would have known Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Zion is another name for the city of Jerusalem. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Zechariah had prophesied that the coming Messiah would enter into the city of Zion, into the city of Jerusalem on a colt. And here he is on that colt, entering into the city. The long-awaited Messiah draws near. There could be no mistaking it. They saw it with their own eyes, and they responded in kind. The only way you couldn't understand is if your heart was too closed off to want to see the truth in front of you. And here, just before Jesus enters the gates, the disciples start laying their cloaks down in front of that donkey as it goes forward. And it just reminds us of how they worship, as they echoed in Jehu in 2 Kings 9, as he entered as king, they just threw their cloaks down before him as he went forth. And then they start crying out, Blessed in the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The disciples are crying out as loud as they can. Here comes the King. Here comes the King. Peace, peace, here comes the King. In Mark and Matthew's account, we actually hear how all the people responded. It said, and then the others spread leafy branches, their palms that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. The people were so eager. They were so longing for this moment. They saw him coming on a donkey. They knew that this had to be him. And so he was entering and the people responded. But why were they so desperate? Why were they laying palms down? You see, palms were thrown down as a sign of victory. 
after the battle had been won, they, were, they would throw the palms down as a sign of victory of the one that's been defeated as he comes because he's won. And so they have this expectation of a Messiah that's going to win because they were desperate to be freed from their oppressors. They wanted so badly for the Roman occupation to end. They wanted a king to rule them that was not Caesar. And this is what I mean by the unexpected king. Jesus did not come as they wanted. They thought they were, they were getting another David. They thought they were going to get a warrior king who was going to come and destroy the Roman Empire, who was going to put an end to the occupation, who was going to free them from their enslavement. And yet, they didn't get a king that comes in on a warrior stallion. They got a king who entered in on a humble donkey. And as he entered into the city, he entered in knowing full well that he would be their sacrifice. That Jesus was making this triumphal entry, this victorious entry, not to defeat the Roman Empire. but to reconcile the people to God by conquering sin and death once and for all. 1 Timothy 1, 15-16 reminds us so clearing that the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He came to save sinners. And what the people had hoped was not that they would be relieved of their sin, but that their occupation would end. But that's not how Jesus came. He came in unexpected. In a manner not in which they wanted, but in a manner in which they needed. So here it is. How will you respond this Palm Sunday? That is the question. Jesus is the king. But is he the king that you expect? Or is he coming unexpectedly before you? And when he comes, when he moves in your life in a way that you don't necessarily expect, in a way that you don't necessarily want, are you still going to put your trust in him? Are you still going to give him your full heart? Are you still going to have faith to believe? You see, I think the key to this passage is the very last line that Jesus says. He says to the Pharisees, after, he, after the Pharisees tell Jesus, rebuke your disciples for worshiping you. He says to them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I have to be honest, I don't want to be remembered as one who remained silent before King Jesus. I don't want to be silent in the place where the rocks cry out louder than my cry. 
I want Jesus to be seated in my heart as sovereign Lord and King in a manner that everything I do and everything I say is in worship to who He is. I am reminded again today that Jesus came unexpectedly into my life and continued to do a lot of unexpected things. But where I stand right now, I am glad that He did. And I hope and pray that even in the midst of every unexpected moment in your life and every change that Jesus might have made, that you would remember that even as Jesus entered the city, He didn't come as the people expected, waving palms before Him. But He came unexpectedly just as they needed. And so as we look forward for the rest of this week, let us worship Him as such, and in such a way that looks forward to this King who became our sacrifice through His death on the cross, but then His resurrection on the third day. I want to leave you with this one line that I absolutely love, and it puts into great divine perspective who this king is. Abraham Kuyper said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Mine. Allow yourself to be His. And when we allow ourselves to be His, recognizing Him as the King of kings and Lord of lords, we don't just transform ourselves, we transform our church and we transform the world around us. We become that image of everything unexpected that seems to bring pain and suffering and yet we rejoice our neighbors will wonder, how can you rejoice? Well, because I have a king. And he might do some unexpected things. But I know that everything is his. And it is good. Let's pray. God, I am so thankful for your goodness. God, I am so thankful for your mercy. Jesus, I am so thankful that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that as you came, you came unexpectedly. That you brought reconciliation between us and God. And that we can have real and right relationship with Him and with you through the power of the Holy Spirit because of your work on the cross. And so Lord, let us honor you today and this week as we lay our palms at your feet, knowing that you are king. And let our praise of you be louder than the stones around us. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.